So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome uh, to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate Larkin here with David Hampton. Hey, David. Hey, Nate. How uh, you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. All right. Uh, it's. I, I told Allie last night, it would, do you realize that we are already halfway through 2021? Uh, no. Today is the 1st of July. Uh, that's when we're recording this. And it is just astonishing to me that it has gone so quickly. Yeah, yeah. That is. That's, golly, yeah. But well, I, uh, maybe it's because 2020 dragged its ass out of here so long. <laughs> <laughs> that this just feels like it's blowing by. Now that we yeah, can yeah. actually, you know, go out and uh, breathe air and see people and, uh, you know, do our something that resembles a life again. So maybe that's it. Oh, speaking of which, Allie and I, uh, this last week did something we haven't done in well over a year. Uh, we, we went to downtown Nashville. Oh man. With the oh. uh, party barges and the tourists and the, where there is apparently no COVID anymore. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. First of all, there is this brand new forest of high rise hotels that, uh, it seems like they sprung up in the last year I yeah. mean, there's still tower cranes around. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how, how the, the building boom. Yeah. And we totally. went to, yeah. So, and we went to that new, I don't know what they call it, but that new place where the old convention center. In oh, the fifth and Broadway. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the place was freaking packed. It looked like it looked like Manhattan down there yeah. on the sidewalks, this, just a sea of people, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it seems like and the bars, even buildings that didn't used to have bars, now have bars, and all the bars have rooftop bars, right? And then there are because <laughs> what's more, party. what's safer than people drinking, <laughs> drinking on the roof? <laughs> And then there's 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 party barges, there's party boats, there's oh, yeah. pedal taverns. <clears throat> there, uh, now, Allie and I, yeah, we we went to Fifth and Broad. We parked mm-hmm. way down. I don't know in the in the you know the third circle of hell. Yeah, I mean, we go into <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right this totally. underground uh-huh. parking garage. Uh, yeah, I parked there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so there we are, you know, kind of at the top of Lower Broad, across the street from from the uh, from the arena, 
And so there's new shops we haven't seen. And we ate there in the food hall, which was nice. And then we looked down lower broad at that sea of people, you know, that three block stretch going to the river. Right. All those people. And uh, one thing was striking is it really did seem as though everybody but us went there to drink. Yeah. Well, they probably did. You may have been <laughs> the only people <laughs> abstaining in all of Nashville. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was, that was really weird. And, and it wasn't all that long ago then, uh, you know, that I would have gone for the same reason and it would have made the whole scene very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the combination of all those people, uh, the combination of all that alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was, uh, the sun was out and, and it was hot and sticky. Oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah. We, uh, we, we, we looked down the street and, uh, went back to the parking garage. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, and then we, we drove through that. That's how we did. That's how we did Nashville. <laughs> yeah. We drove through. Yeah. I wise, don't know. Wise choice. I think, I mean, I love, <laughs> I love our town, but oh my Lord, it is, uh, it is, it is quite a zoo, um, yeah. down there. Yeah. Well, I, I'm enjoying not drinking, David. I really am enjoying not drinking. Well, good for you, though. I'm so happy about that for you. I uh, really yeah. am. Changes and, like and that I are have, hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I have found that just, you know, for me, adopting a couple of new, it's not so much stopping that old behavior. Certainly, that's the goal, but that's not the only thing I'm tracking. I've, re- I've fired up my habit tracker again. And there are a couple of daily habits that I'm tracking that don't take a lot of time. It's a total of 30 minutes for me to do some meditation mm-hmm. and to listen to some, some, you know, some good, you know, sobriety literature. Yeah. And as long as I'm, and as long as I'm doing that, uh, I've got to tell you that not drinking has been uh, painless. I, I'm, I'm more aware than I was previously of, the cues to my well-established habit loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely had made drinking a habit, mm-hmm. and it was cued by certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most consistent was going into the kitchen to cook dinner. That's a oh, cue yeah. for me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and it was automatic then to pour a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, recognizing that that's the cue, and I have. Now I know the cue is there, and I a couple of times the thought certainly has entered my mind. Mm-hmm. I can't eliminate the cue. I still am going to cook dinner. I'm not going to avoid my kitchen for the rest of my life. <laughs> right, right, yeah. But connecting, but connecting that cue to a new routine mm-hmm. to get a better reward is yeah. pretty doggone simple when I stay conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, well, it's I'm good. Glad. That's that's really that's really good because I know that that's been um, up and down for you, and and you, it's something yeah. you wanted to um, address. I know, I know, I know, I know. I've wanted to classify myself as one kind of addict and say that as long as you know, as long as I'm not <laughs> acting out sexually, I'm sober. Uh-huh. And, well, I'm sexually sober. That's uh-huh. true, but there are other ways that I can go off the rails and. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm just super grateful. 
And yeah. I'm grateful for this. I'm, I'm grateful for this weekly conversation. I hope that, uh, you know, our, these conversations are as helpful for our listeners as they are for, for me. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I hope yeah. so too. Cause I, I, I think that's a great point to make. I want our listeners to know that these episodes are for us as much as, uh, that we're taking some something to people that we're uh, providing a opportunity for their for them to hear from a guest or a new concept yeah, yeah. or something like that. But this is, I mean, I walk away here with ammo uh, of my own every <laughs> week. So, you know, it's yeah. So we need to do this whether we broadcast it or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And uh, you've you've done a good job of making sure that we do it on a regular basis because we've got uh, guests plugged in. Uh, well, thank you. Pretty, pretty much for every week throughout the summer. Yeah. Uh, 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 guests are being suggested to us, coming to us. The conversation, the ripples are uh, extending, going wider, and we're getting more and more uh, fascinating guests. We got a great one this week. Yeah, we do. Okay. Uh, well, what do you say we get there? We'll be back. Uh, stay with us on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm Nate Larkin here with uh, my co-host, the inimitable, uh, the unique David Hampton. And David, David, uh, once again, you have cast your net wide to bring us a guest from clear across the country. Why don't you? Why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, Michael Odin is coming to us today from the West Coast, uh, the Southern California area, and Michael is a um, has been a, a probation officer for about the last twenty years. But in that work, he of course has encountered a lot of experience with addiction and uh, recovery and struggling people and a number of behaviors. And he's a developer of something called the Needs Based Method and Final Step International, which we're going to get to in uh, just a little bit to hear more. And he also has a book that I want to make sure we get to talk about. Uh, Michael is a now a life coach, a business coach, but he. Um, is working with people with respect to um, causality. And, and Nate and I, you, we talk about a lot, uh, the causality of addiction as opposed to just the behavior of uh, unwanted, um, unwanted things that we've got going on in our lives. So I'm looking forward to having him. Michael, thank you so much for making the time and early hour out there for us. So uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, and it's glad. It's great to be here. I appreciate great, it. Great, great. Well, where? Well, go ahead, well I'm just going to say, where um, did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your story, um, because you know, as we talked briefly before the recording, um, you're not coming from a place of personal uh, addiction in this, but rather the experience you've had working with people that are struggling and suffering. Is that is that right? Yeah, well, you had we got to go back to my childhood because I grew up in a in a group home. Okay. Oh, did you? Wow. Yeah. Well, now what? Here it is. Now I lived in the group home. My mother ran the group home, and I had we had about 172 over a 13 year period. Wow. In Minnesota. Wow. So there were eight of my brothers and eight of these other kids from enough from the inner city living with us in this little farm. Wow. Very Minnesota. Wow. Oh man. 
what the stories we could tell. So I, it, it's as if I've seen these this kind of population when I was a kid. Yeah. So, Where were you in the birth order? I, oh boy, right smack dab in the middle out of eleven kids. Wow. Okay. Wow. I, Amazing. I, I, had, I had a dominant twin, so I didn't speak a lot for the first fourteen years. Uh, I had a brother who was Down syndrome, so that added another component about special needs and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, mm. so we had, I had the gamut of, of, of a childhood that uh, made the sense of my world later on. So if you fast forward to college and then fast forward various jobs, what do I want to do with my life? Then I came out to be an actor. That's why I came to LA. Oh, wow. Okay. I was, okay. All right. Okay. So I'm doing the auditions and I'm doing my thing and, you know, I have a son and when he threw up on me in an audition, I said, I gotta, I gotta do something. So, <laughs> I was offered a job as a, as a probation officer. You know, hey, you want they're hiring. I said, hey, why not? You know, my kid needs to eat. So, <laughs> so I, I took that job, and what happened was I turned it into something that was that was really not a job but a passion. So I you know I, I listened to my clients, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I listened and I talked to them, and it wasn't about checking in, checking out, have a nice day, see you next month. It's about so why are you here? What happened? Mm-hmm. And. Yeah. I uncovered all the, the the trauma that they endured as children. Then I understand the behavior and understand them better. And then when they understood their trauma, then they absolutely they shifted. Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. So that was that's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Well, so how did you find um, people uh, as far as being willing to uh, to explore that with you? Because that's those are pretty intensely personal things, and and you probably had to assure them that you were there for their best interest to build that kind of emotional or relational equity. I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah that's a great question, but, but I didn't realize that I was I was it was you know ignorance is bliss. Uh-huh. I just I, I just wanted to know why how you got here, why you got here, and when I started talking to them, you know, there it's I was probably the first person to ever listen to them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, this guy's listening. And so then I would ask another question and, and they would respond. And I would ask another question. Next, you know, we have this rapport. I said, they go like that. You're not like the rest of them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know what you, but all I know is this is how I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you go back to that group home and my mother, I probably taken after my mother, you know, and just you know, wanting to help people, wanting to contribute, you know, wanting them to, why don't they have an experience so when so they can change so they can be a better you know a contributing member of society? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of commonalities did you start to pick up in these conversations? First of all, how many conversations do you estimate we're talking about? I'm going, how big is your sample population back then? But back then it was around eight thousand. Now it's about twelve, twelve thousand. Wow, wow. And okay, these are, so you've had these personal conversations with that many people. Yeah. yeah. And these are private and public, I call yeah. them. Okay. I, I go from the hill to the hood. It, does, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And okay. Uh, yeah. So what kind of commonalities what did commonality? you see emerge? Yeah. Uh, commonality was, 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 was childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and the absence of a father, which is why I titled my book, When Nobody's Home. Oh, wow. Mm. And most of my clients were male, and I'd say 95% didn't have a male figure. And so you had the single mother, nobody home, you know, so they got, so there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, neglect, we'll call it, of, of an abandonment 
and, and those types of uh, uh, responses from the parents. And therefore, when, when you don't think anybody cares, then you're going to go out and behave in such a way as to get your needs met somewhere else and maybe tragically, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had a, a recent guest on the podcast described trauma for us in a way that was very striking to me. Mm-hmm. The phrase she used was the chronic disruption of connectedness. Yeah. So, uh, so trauma isn't necessarily uh, a drive-by shooting. Mm. That certainly is traumatic. traumatic. It may not be physical abuse, right. but it, it can it can just be the absence or the regular disruption of a sense of connectedness. So, okay. So if I'm feeling adrift as a child, mm. I'm going. I need to be connected. I've got to find connection somewhere. What are the maladaptive ways that I might go about doing it that would that on down the road would find me in conversation with a parole officer like you? Uh, you would. One is gangs. Mm-hmm. Because because they, they have the, probably the same situation you do or that the individual does. And they, so they can relate to each other. So joining a gang is part of that. The, 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 yeah. the, the, the initial family structure is not there. It's not developed. Nobody home. So let me find it somewhere else. So then we do our thing and we join the gang and we and we and we behave a certain way. The other yeah. way, the other way is to uh, find connectiveness is to look at um, drugs. Is you know using drugs is one way because guess what drugs drugs get to take me away from this reality. So I don't feel pain, emotion. You know, and I always tell people it's not right or wrong. It's what you did to to deal with your situation, because if 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 the child doesn't if the child. If the parent tells a child you don't matter, I don't hear you and you and um, you are not uh, important to me, that's that stings. Mm-hmm. It sure do does. Yeah. Right. What do you, so what do you do with that information? If, what if you don't care and I don't matter, then this thing I'm taking this illicit substance I'm taking puts me in a place where I don't feel. I don't feel this the, 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 the hate or the I don't feel the pain from 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 the neglect from the caretaker. Therefore, you know, and then this, so this is why they this is why I found out they keep doing it over and over and over. Okay. And and there was a there was a quote that a doctor uh Gabor Mate, I believe the name yeah. is and he said yeah. yeah so not everyone who is tra- not everyone who is traumatized becomes addicted, but everyone addicted was traumatized. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. everybody yeah. has yeah. So everybody has gone through this, you know, um, this 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 tunnel of, of pain, but no one help, helps them understand it so they can overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Drugs, and and illicit drugs are the first thing you you do because it's it's accessible. Well if I take yeah. this yeah. thing or drink this bottle, guess what? I go to a different place. Mm-hmm. Because my first question to my clients was this: so, "So why did you start?" And they would say, "Because I liked it." Well, I know you liked it. What you know? What made you start using drugs for a long period of time? Uh, and then they'd go. So, so then I cut the story. I said, "Tell me what happened. The event that changed your life that made you shift." And they go, "When when when Daddy hit Mommy." Mm-hmm. And I have some cases. I have extreme cases when 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 uh, when when Daddy shot Mommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. sure, yeah. And, and or if there's sexual abuse, all whatever that trauma was, it was the day 
everything shifted and he found out their childhood or the world was a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. And I have no other recourse but to use some substance to get me out of here for a while. Yeah. And, and this is where I have, this is where I had a trouble with the word addict. I say, if I call you an addict, I'm labeling you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in regards to my needs based method, I said, well, how about if we call them, no, you're a human being who happens to use drugs to meet a need for an excessive period of time. Yeah. It doesn't absolve them of the behavior. It's just, no, you're not an addict. You're a human being who's happened to use this narcotic excessively for a long period of time to meet your need. And so what's the need? And the need is something as a social, is a social or emotional outcome you try to accomplish in a given situation. So a need for an example is this emotional safety. Mm-hmm. I use drugs to numb my pain. So I have some emotional safety from what happened in my home because I was neglected, abandoned in the house. When people hear that, they go, wow. So uh, not an addict. Well, I don't want to call you that, but we, we need to understand why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Because if I were, because if I were to throw an example, well, if I go to the gym four days a week, what am I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it, I'm on fitness. I should go to fitness and on. Yeah. Let's go. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but and always remember, whatever we do in life, we're getting a need. Mm-hmm. That's right. Whether, whether it's tragic yeah. or life life affirming, it doesn't matter. Just so, so you always ask the question, so what need are you getting met by doing what you do? Mm-hmm. And most people go, well, I don't know. So because most people don't know what a need is. So when you give them examples what needs are, they go, oh, it's point. I, have, I, have a, I have a sheet here. I go, I go like this, point to the list and tell me what you're getting or not getting from that situation. And all of a sudden, they circle the needs and they go, oh, my God, there it is. I go, yeah. And then the body shifts. There's this, there's this like, you know, over their body mm-hmm. because they, for the first time, they recognize why they've been behaving a certain way and why they've been having a certain emotional experience because of their situation. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's really, it's very cathartic. Yeah. For the sake of our listeners, uh, would you go ahead and read uh, what you've got there on the sheet that you show to clients okay. to say, uh, read that, some of that list of needs, maybe not the whole thing, but give, okay. us a, give it to taste. I'll tell you what, I'll give you the five. I always come up you know, with all those people I've interviewed. Mm-hmm. They're about the five important needs people want. And one is uh, self-empowerment and choice. Mm-hmm. If you take people's choice away, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, 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 so check this out. When I was supervising my clients and they had to follow the law of the probation department about not using drugs, I would never tell them to stop mm-hmm. using drugs. Don't use drugs. Don't. I would say this. Think about why you are using the drug. Right. Think about what that gets you and the consequences involved. It's up to you. See, so I gave them choice. Because you know what happens when you get to take a choice away. Another one is about how about physical affection or comfort. Mm-hmm. There's a need. Mm-hmm. Another one is a, is accepted. That's a big need for people. Are you accepted in your group? Are you accepted in your family? Mm-hmm. Another one is uh, oh here's one being heard. Mm-hmm. Am I being heard? Do you listen or do you shut me down? Mm-hmm. Another big one is emotional safety. When I come in through the door, is my home going to be comfortable? You know when I'm not you know walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. So another another need is uh, predictability. Oh, here's one: yeah, predictability. Do my parents show up? Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Those, so so these are these are examples of needs that when you actually see what you're not getting is what is what makes sense of the behavior. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Michael, do you have people uh, coming in and really? Um, 
I guess learning to ha- learning to ask for what they need. Um, Boy, you hit it on the head, sir. Okay, well, tell me, tell me about that. That's perfect. You know, you hit it on. Most people don't know how to ask for them because mm-hmm. they don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I've gotten class, gotten married off this sheet. Mm-hmm. You know, they just because yeah, you're not meeting my need, and here's the list. Mm-hmm. And what about yeah. here's the list? So what can we do to get the needs met? Mm-hmm. All right. And an example was uh, I did. I had five women, and and they all circled a lot of these that they weren't getting from their boyfriends or significant others or husbands. Mm-hmm. And so I asked them a question. So why are you in a relationship? And they go because I love him. Okay, well look at your need sheet. Mm-hmm. You have circled about twenty that's not meeting. So they had to process it. They came back, and I got three divorces and two breakups. Oh wow. <laughs> Because they actually saw, wow, why am I in this relationship? What need is it? Why, why do I put up with these unmet needs? And when you actually see your life on paper, it's a whole different ballgame. And so when people feel empowered, they make change, right? Is that kind of the takeaway? It empowers and they have information or uh, they have an awareness around the behavior too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be aware. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So how have you kind of packaged, for lack of a better word, Michael, the needs-based method so that other people can take this and use it in God. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, school teachers and people that work with um, employees that are struggling and, uh, you know, all kinds of, I mean, I can see all kinds of applications in this kind of thing. How has, how have you kind of put this together and made it accessible? I, I, I created the, uh, the workbook and I created a, a method to how, how to use this. Mm-hmm. And, and my goal, I mean, my goal is to get it to the, to the kids and to the university students. Yeah. Especially the university students who have imposter syndrome mm. because they're first generation and they're, and they're, and they're brown and black kids mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. You okay. Know, they deserve to be here. And when you get them to understand what they didn't get from home and what they're, and what they're fighting while they're in school, trying to do this thing, you know, academic uh, court, the academic course to graduate, they're like, well, am I good enough to do that? And mm-hmm. so we understand where their, where their behavior comes from. They can go, well, my mother didn't give me these needs because they didn't know how. And that's another big thing. When a parent doesn't know how to make the needs, the child, of course, blames themselves for I'm not good enough for the parent. Right. And they take on a whole belief system. Uh, so that's one thing we need to break is the belief system. And when they understand this, um, these needs, they go, oh, okay. So that's why, yeah. So there's no right or wrong, no good parent or bad parent, just the, the parent doing the best they can mm-hmm. with the limited amount of information they were given, right? But you pay, you happen to pay the price for their lack of information or or nurturing as 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 they grew up. Mm-hmm. And we can we can break the cycle once you understand that. But but back to your question, I, you know, I would love to get more and more in, in, into the into the schools, into the to businesses to teach this because it's, it's very basic. It really is, and you and you said you hit it on the head. How do you ask for it? Mm-hmm. You know, and because people don't know because they don't know what a need is. I, I do this all the time when they go like this. I feel like well, tell me how, how does like feel? No, what emotional experience are you having? It's a big difference. Mm-hmm. It's a big difference. Mm-hmm. So and and plus with these needs, guess what? There are emotions attached to it mm-hmm. because emotion is the indicator. Like if you're happy. Right, and you're joyful, and you're inspired. Guess what? That must be a need being met. What's the need? Oh well, guess what? I, you know, like I'm getting bonding from whomever. I'm getting heard. You know, my needs are being met. Mm-hmm. It's when you're 
aren't met is when you get the what called the negative behaviors of sad, disappointed, you know, stressed. That's basically that's that's basically what that is. Yeah. Did you ever get pushback, Michael, from other um, when you were doing the probation system? Um, I mean, like your colleagues, maybe saying, you know, you you care too much, or you're spending way too much time with these people. What you know? What kind of pushback did you get? We're going to go on tour on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! You know, again, I'm just doing what I do. Right. I'm not thinking about everybody. I'm just okay. You know, I want to help these people. I'm just doing it. I'm excited. It fits my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. My contributing to the planet, helping other people. You know, have a better life, and you know, it's wonderful. And they would call me. They would call me the mad scientist from my peers in a fun mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And then, then some things that you're spending too much time with them. Mm. But if I look at the uh, mission statement, well, well, I spend time and take care of, you know, I said, wow, well, that, I'm doing part of the mission statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, because so sometimes I'd spend, you know, I spend 45 minutes sometimes as opposed to being a machine. Wow. Um, then there's the, uh, the pushback, the book. That's another, but I got I got to hold off for that, but you know what, you get what I get yeah. because, yeah, I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I I just wanted to help. I, here, I, I should get here, help these people. He's a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which is why what I was doing it wasn't work to me. I go and I go into I go to my job and whistle. Mm-hmm. Why are you whistling? Are you <laughs> I don't know I, who am I going to help today? Who's coming in that I don't know of? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 when people would get this information, they would say, Hawkeye, you can't be my person." Yeah. And, and I said, well, it's just, you know, luck of the draw, but yeah, yeah, I, 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 I got some and it's interesting when, when you're an outlier, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's a price you pay for that. And, you know, if there's anything I, I, I can do or say is, is that I, I want to keep this going to help more people. Okay. If I'm an outlier, then, then let me expand this, you know, help globally. You know, I, I would really, I was speaking at a high school and doing this and they would, and 1500 kids didn't say a peep. Yeah. And they didn't invite me back. Hmm. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, what do you call it? It was drug something month, drug awareness. Uh-huh. Month. Oh yeah. Drug awareness month. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I went and spoke up and I spoke about that and, and, and what we're talking about right now to the kids, you know, I got yeah. the kids yeah. quiet as a mouse. And next thing you know, people are jumping out. That's me. That's me. You know, and and, yeah. and 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 so there was some disruption. I was in. I was not anticipating. Mm. Yeah. So I touched some buttons because you know I'm, I'm guessing they were they were thinking about you know he's going to talk about drugs, don't do drugs, and all this kind of stuff. No, I talked about home. I talked about what's going on in the house. Who's saying what to you? What are they saying to you? Mm-hmm. You know, and why people start like we did at the beginning. And I think I ruffled too many feathers to a point. You know to where okay can i come back next year mm. you know mm-hmm. crickets crickets <laughs> wow yeah 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 uh hey michael you used a phrase a few minutes ago that is still echoing in my head and i'd like to circle back to it maybe ask you a personal question you used the phrase imposter syndrome uh-huh uh, uh these kids who you know they find themselves in college and they've got this message this internal message that says i don't i don't i don't deserve to be here i'm i'm faking 
Was that part of your personal experience? And if so, un- unpack it for us a little, will you? Did uh, you ever experience the imposter syndrome? No, 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 no. Um, it's, it's interesting. You know, I had my childhood trauma, but there's one thing I always, I, I'm grateful for is my parents never shamed or, 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 or judged me or, or criticized me. Mm. Nice. So I, I saw, and I always tell, and I tell people this, I could go out there and make a, and make a, a fool of myself and be okay. It's like the, it's like the audition. I could, I could fail the other, he did not pick me and I can go back and live my life because that, because my identity and my self-worth was not tied in terms of picking me or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so I was, I was not a really, I was not an A student. I don't know what a Dean's list looks like. I heard about it. <laughs> 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 But I, will, I was always taught to do, do your best and work hard at it. Yeah. And yeah. because of that, I was able to grind through things and and come out the other end the best I could. And even though I, I, I didn't, you know, become a summa cum something mm-hmm. and a magna, <laughs> you know, I, I appreciated the, my effort. So I, I tell this story, too. I, I took a calculus class freshman year. The guy told me, would you get in trig in, in, in high school? I got to be, well, take that class then. It was some serious calculus class that I had. It was it was like space stuff? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. When you start using letters and numbers to, to calculate things, and letters and squiggly lines and things of that nature, you're going okay. But I went to that professor probably two or three times a week to understand the material, mm. and he probably should have failed. He technically probably should have failed me, but he gave me a D. Mm. You know, I got people. You know, that's the best D I ever got in my life. I earned that damn D and I got, you know, I didn't give up. The kids are going to laugh because, wow. Yeah. You don't know that I am. I'm not some, you know, yeah. you know, whiz kid kind of thing with a 4.20, they got 4.6s or twos now. What is that anyway? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So yeah, I, I was fortunate enough not to have that. So I, so I can fail in so I can fail in in peace. We'll call it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like that term. Fail in peace. Yeah. This is this is. Uh, I've got to tell you, I find uh, this is why I find your approach uh, and actually your passion so admirable. For many of us, I mean, I I love working with uh, in recovery because I have personal experience with addiction. And I can empathize with people who've been through what I've been through. You have this remarkable ability to empathize with people whose experience you don't share, but you can still somehow uh, connect with it, put words to it that they have difficulty putting words to, open windows of insight that they haven't seen. That's a remarkable gift. Uh I don't know where it comes from. It's miraculous, and I'm grateful for it. And then just to let you know, I, I have gotten that. Well, have you ever been on? Have you ever been on drugs? I go <laughs> around it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, and I, and, and it's, here's a story. I don't know if I get arrested. Maybe it's you know, it, it, maybe the time has lapsed long enough. I was working out in the gym in my my in, in New Jersey, and um, it's, it's called a sweat box. And also, I used to do is you know, my, my all my brothers and I we played football and all that stuff, and some guy gave me a, give me, he like a sandwich bag of cocaine because mm-hmm. he, wow. he, he liked me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because I was nice to him. I'm like, what's, what's mm-hmm. going on with this? Wow. Here, man, you, you're kind of cool. I like you. I said, hey, okay. Wow. I said, really? Now, 
why didn't I go berserk or why didn't I, you know, go with this thing? You know what I did? I bought it my mom. Look what I got. Like, like mm-hmm. a show. Uh-huh. So is that? Mom, some guy gave me some bag of cocaine. What did he do with this stuff? You know? And if I was damaged socially or no emotionally, that would have been that would hit the jackpot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Because, right. Because when you like yourself and you like your life and you like who you are, you don't need to go to a different place. Mm-hmm. So you can put crack, cocaine, alcohol around me all day long, and I'm not going to abuse it because I don't need it because I'm, I'm I'm okay with who I am. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's the key. And you had a parent present to go home and say, "What about this?" Yeah, yeah, yes, I did. I uh, and I, when I was I was in my mid twenties, I was you know trying to figure out my my my, my path of the world. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Yeah, and it was just, it was just I got that, and I look back and I go, how naive was I? I must have been a fool. Who would take a sandwich bag of this illicit drug that was probably way you could get arrested for all kinds of things, mm-hmm. and just yeah. go and show him, hey, my look at this thing, look what I got, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know what I, and to tell you the truth, I did. Okay, so I go like this. So, so well, look, well, what's the big deal about this cocaine thing? Let me try. It. So I put it on my mouth. I wasn't scared to put it in my nose. I ain't do, I wasn't doing all that. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, your gums, okay. Okay, all right, well, is that it? All right, and then I kind of forgot about it, <laughs> you know. And, and now that was the end of the story. And, but I tell people, if I was hurt or damaged emotionally, those situations I, I had, I saw in college and saw in other parts of my life, I would have, I would have probably executed, you know, some sort of um, use of, of that narcotic. Yeah. 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 So tell us what else you're doing uh, these days, Michael. Where is your interest taking you? Uh, and uh, you know, what what channels has your passion found? Well, um, now I, I work. I train law enforcement, uh, the probation departments in the in California. And oh wow, have, yeah, we have we have various courses. We have the uh, one of the best courses is called a family um, dynamics and the use of dr- and drug addiction. Oh wow. Because I wanted people to understand their clients, who they're supervising, mm. and where they come from, and how to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then there's another one where job stress and addiction, the stress of the job, mm. and you know, and how people can get overwhelmed. And then the third component is the um, uh, improve your work performance in the workplace, where we talk about thinking styles mm-hmm. and the thinking styles. Yeah, it's really. The thinking style is about preference, and that preference has to do with how we see the world um, analytically or, or uh, emotionally. So in my book, in Chapter 3, I talk about this. Here's something very interesting. I said, I, I wanted to know how you thought about your trauma. So I, I took one group. I saw, I gave my little test, and they all ended up being, most of my clients were right-brained. Mm. They're emotional, interpersonal. They need a connection. And I said, did you have a sibling who saw the same trauma you did? Maybe a year or two behind or in front. They go, yeah. So what did they do with that information? Oh, oh they moved out and they have a family and they got a job and they're living. Okay. So they didn't do the same behavior you did. So that tells me they're more analytical. They're going like this. Well, I'm not getting my needs met. Mom ain't home. I got to find a way to make it on my own. All mm-hmm. right. The other person. The other person on my caseload says this, mom ain't home, uh, nobody's showing up, and I'm very upset, and, and that I need to hear, if 
from them that they care about me. Until then, I'm going to behave a certain way. Mm. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So yes, yeah. So I noticed that ninety, probably ninety nine percent of my clients were right brain. And when I spoke in, in the prisons, right in the county jails, all and I did the same test for my for the, for these inmates, ninety percent or more were on the right side, right brain. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they were like, wow. So because you guys were, these are the people who are waiting for that for that validation from the main people. And until then they're going to act and behave accordingly. Mm. And so this is where society pays for their pain. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 And, and I just, I just found that interesting, you know, I, it, but it still doesn't, but it still impacted the people on the left side of the brain or, or it still impacted, impacted them. They just didn't show it emotionally. Mm-hmm. They kind of stuffed it, grabbed about it put it away and, and, and kind of forged ahead where the other people did not do that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Do you find that a lot of law enforcement uh, people, Michael, um, are also dealing with their own trauma? Oh boy. Oh boy. So remember I, I am the, if, and if you want to talk about the law enforcement, we have the, the police, mm-hmm. then we, Arrests, arrest people. Then we have the courts. No, we have the jails, mm-hmm. sheriffs, the courts. Mm-hmm. And in my case, it was the treatment center, then the probation. Probation, then treatment, mm-hmm. right? So we're the last on the list. So you, they come to me. I don't have to go jump on them and arrest mm-hmm. them. So I, I, I've encountered a police officer because they pulled me over a few times. Mm-hmm. And, and I, was, I just wanted to see what they were trying to do because I know I had my badge and all that at the time mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and see how they would treat me. And and a lot of, I get a lot of, uh, what do you call that? I get a lot of, um, um, I don't, I'll call it aggressive talk, mm-hmm. we'll call it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm trying to figure out why, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on? Why, why are you pulling me over? I, you know, and I, I've noticed my client, I'll get the stories from my clients because mm-hmm. we might have pulled out, I pull out my badge. I'm their best friend after all. I just like pull them stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right, 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 right. So my clients would, would tell me some of the things that would happen to them. And they would get arrested or what would happen in a car. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I believe that their childhood trauma kind of, you know, I would take drugs to, to exacerbate a behavior. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that bad, that badge exacerbates behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you give somebody power that they never had in a certain situation. You're going to discover what may have happened back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I, because to me, to me, my badge, you know, I didn't know I had so much power. I said, really? This thing here? Wow, I didn't know that. I was just doing my thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and so it, it's like when you give someone, like someone winning the lottery, does, does the true behavior show up? Mm-hmm. You know, having like right, money, right. you know, you know, alcohol, all the true behavior, you know, the, or, or what the latent behavior is just sitting there. You drink and all of a sudden, boom, you know, I'm more, I'm braver. I say what I want to say, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and give someone a bag. It could be it could be the same thing because remember, cops are human. They come from a childhood, and depending on what happened to them, that badge could mean something to them, and they could and they get to do or say things that they probably couldn't have said back in the right. day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I've, I've, yeah. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating, Michael. Uh, we're running now toward the end of the time we have available. For those listeners who uh, would like to connect with you or avail themselves of the materials that you've produced, what's the best way for them to find you? 
the best way is going uh, michael at michaelloden.com is the email you can look at final step international.com okay and, yeah that, that that's the uh the web the web uh address and we have uh and the book on final on the book on when nobody's home can be purchased at amazon.com when nobody's home amazon.com mm -hmm. And can, yeah, and if you Google, you know, no, go ahead. I I just I, w I wanted to be sure and ask you about the final step uh, that you work that you do before you get away. Just to, if you want to highlight that for a second. Yeah, so so the final step is, is basically what we do is we uh, we uncover the truth behind a specific behavior, mm -hmm. right? And, and and we can find that and we can use that modality in almost any situation. Yeah. We can use it in the workplace. We can use it behind the, you know, using drugs and alcohol excessively. Mm -hmm. We can use it in relationships, you know, and how to communicate differently than which we have been. Mm -hmm. And the whole goal of Final Step International is to uh, make sense of everybody's unwanted behavior so they can change. Yeah. In a nutshell. That's, that's, that's great. That's great. Well, this has certainly been enlightening, given me plenty to think about, and I'm sure uh, our listeners are going to say the same. This, this is one of those podcasts that's going to be listened to multiple times by individual listeners. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Well, listeners, thank you for me. Absolutely. Stay with us. Yeah. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, I love the enthusiasm of Michael Odin. I just, um, the guy is passionate and uh, yeah, I, I love that about him. And I love that he is um, willing to be an empathetic witness to pain of people that might otherwise just get um, stamped and passed along, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, now he's doing much more with his coaching work and his uh, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors with all of that. But but I love the idea that um, that these people are being asked to evaluate their needs and learn to ask for what they need, um, because I think so many of us and especially people that are coming from certain circumstances um, don't believe our needs are valid or we don't even know what they are or that we have. Right. You know, right, 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 right. Um, so I think to even bring that concept into the conversation in the dynamics that he's worked in um, is remarkable. So I, I loved um, what he had to say about all that. Yeah. And I think that point is especially uh, relevant to people who are sometimes called uh, codependents. Mm -hmm. There are those there's certainly uh, and there's a saying in recovery that if you scratch an addict, you'll probably find a codependent. Um <laughs> Yeah, but there are, uh, I certainly have been in a place and probably from time to time still wind up in a place where I start to think that uh, my needs are don't really matter mm -hmm. as much as those of the person I'm with or am trying to save or trying to help. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can ignore my own needs, trying to meet somebody else's, with or without their permission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. 
and yeah. run my and run myself deep, deep, deep into the weeds. Yeah, now, this needs conversation is a, a really important one. And uh, it sounds like the materials that Michael has produced can really help to excavate that territory for us. Yeah. With well-aimed questions uh, that will cause us to think about issues that we have learned mm-hmm. to ignore. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes taken pride in ignoring, mm-hmm. thinking that somehow that makes us a more loving or a, a more moral or a more praiseworthy person. Mm-hmm. If somehow uh, we're the person with no needs, that yeah. is an illusion. None of us uh, are without needs. Well, and right. We and ignore those needs to our peril. We do. And we do it because we don't want to face our pain. Right. You know, because if I admit my needs, I'm going to admit my lack and I'm going to admit there's pain there. And um, so it's just easier to believe I don't have them. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and pretend. And of course we know where we end up <laughs> when we do that. So uh, you've never done that, David? No, never, never. <laughs> no, 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 me either. Me either. This is a uh, pure theoretical conversation. Hypothetical, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've heard of, I've heard of people who get their worth from putting their needs on the back burner and, and uh, ignoring them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my. All right. Well, what a good conversation. Yeah. Hey, before we go, before we go, I, I, I seem to remember that we have a sponsor. We do indeed. And uh want to remind everybody to take advantage of BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com, an online therapy service with licensed therapists and practitioners where you can enjoy uh, their services from the privacy of and convenience of your own home, uh, your own laptop, your own device. And um, they will... Uh, work with you in any area that is uh, causing you to feel stuck or unproductive. They are there for you uh, with everything from uh, depression and anxiety to uh, something else that might be going on in your world that, um, that we don't even know to articulate. So uh, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety will get you a discount on your initial subscription and let us know that our resources are helpful to you. And uh, so betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. And you can take advantage of uh, therapy right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I guess that wraps it for this week. Uh, I'm grateful for this conversation. It's been wonderful. Great way for me to start the day. Uh, And I look forward to our, our next time together next week. Until then, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe by (laughs) Kathy Gifford.